we now need to make sure that every user from any cubicle is able to jump on a Zoom call and have a consistently good experience for both the voice and video. Hi, and welcome to Tech News This Week. I'm your host, Tech Target Editorial News Director, Antone Versalvis. On today's show, we'll discuss the latest offering from uh, Versa Networks and Prosimo, uh, AWS's new Bedrocks platform, and how SAP customers are migrating to SF4 HANA. First are the product releases from Versa, a secure access service edge or SASE vendor, and Prosimo, which sells a multi-cloud uh, networking platform. Here to discuss the, the two new offerings is analyst Bob Lalibert of Tech Target's Enterprise Strategy Group. Welcome, Bob. Thanks, Anton. Great to be here. Uh, so uh, let's start with, uh, with Versa. You know, the company is an SD-WAN and SASE vendor. However, now it's offering a software-defined local area network uh, that includes zero trust uh, network access. Uh, how is Versa delivering the technology and uh, for what type of campus environment? Yeah, no, great question. I think, um, you know, the big shift and the big announcement for this week is there, and the announcement is, is titled Zero Trust Everywhere. And what they feel like is they've done a great job enabling that secure access for remote users. And now that more and more organizations are saying, hey, come back into the office, they want to be able to provide that zero trust and that, that consistent experience and that consistent security across not only the remote workers, but also when you're in the office. So what they've done is they've expanded their offerings to include not only the SD-WAN piece, but now the SD-LAN piece as well. So they've got wired switches and wireless access points that run on the same operating system. So you get that consistent experience and that consistent security policies, regardless of whether you're working remotely or into the in the office, back in the office. But now SD, um, Versa rather, I mean, they, they've got, uh, at least according to Gartner, they've got like 19,000 companies that use their technology. However, uh, the vast majority they're not really all their customers. Their customers are service providers. That's where most of their um, uh, most of their money comes from, from service providers. So what they're doing is allowing service providers access to the campus uh, to the campus network. Yeah, no, that's a good question. So yeah, and you're you're right. So a lot most of their business goes through those service providers who are delivering the SD WAN as a service. But as you know, so many of these communication service providers really want to expand their business and their footprint with right? Not just stop at the, the customer prem equipment and at their DMARC, but be able to go deeper. So it gives them an opportunity, especially in either the campus or those branch environments, to now be able to offer a complete offering of not only the SD-WAN, but also that SD-LAN. So the wired and, wire, wired and wireless switch environments to be able to have that same consistent policy that you created for the remote users, apply to them and follow them when they come back into the office as well. Okay, but you know, companies uh, with campuses, they probably have Cisco, they may have Cisco, they may have Aruba. I mean, they have network technology in place. Right. So why why does uh, Versa think its its service providers can penetrate campus uh, campus networking? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, and I think the the uh, the opportunity is is really ripe right now to do that because of everything that's happened, we see a lot of organizations trying to reimagine 
their campus and restructure how their campus is, is networked. And by that, what I mean is, you know, prior to the pandemic, you had a couple of video rooms and then connectivity to all the cubes. And what you're seeing now is that even when people are back in the office, they still need to have that voice and video collaboration tools from their desk. So it's a, it's a really opportune time for them to have this offering as organizations are looking, how do we best enable our customers to have that same quality experience? So, right, they might be expanding to Wi-Fi 6E, things like that to get additional capability. So there's a lot of upgrades going on within that campus environment. And this gives the service provider an opportunity to play in that space and come in and say, we can provide, if you like what we're doing here on the SD-WAN side, we can provide that uniform, consistent policy creation, consistent experience across your campus environments as well. But like you said, they are going to have to compete, right? They are going to compete against the existing vendors. Yeah. So it's not about, it's so the, the way Versus is looking at it from terms of an opening, it's not about controlling the necessarily the campus network, but being able to uh, serve the people working from home, remote workers. I mean, that's, that's the new element that they think gives them an opening. Well, it's, it's the, it's not the most, they've been already been focused on the remote workers. What's happening now is we're seeing articles more and more about the organizations asking their employees to come back to the office. And so it's that reimagining of the campus environment that's going on where we're saying, Hey, it's not good enough just to have video dedicated to a couple of rooms. We now need to make sure that every user from any cubicle is able to jump on a zoom call and have a consistently good experience for both the voice and video. And so to do that, a lot of times, right, if people are leveraging their old stuff, maybe they've got an old, you know, generation Wi-Fi and things like that. And as you know, when you move to Wi-Fi 6 or 6E, a lot of times that requires a new wired for the POE plus and things like that. So this is the opportunity we're seeing a lot of the refresh happening in the campus environment right now as organizations bring workers back and want to make sure that they have a consistently good experience when they're back in the office. All right. I think it's uh, it's worth mentioning with Versa is that they had a uh, uh, they had their pre IPO uh, funding round back in October. They raised one hundred twenty million dollars. So obviously, they've uh, investors think they're having some great success with uh, with service providers. Uh, one of their uh, backers was Silicon Valley Bank, as most people know, had collapsed. Uh, I did talk to the uh, CEO. Uh, the bank uh, of uh, Versa, uh, Kelly Auja, and uh, his, um, he said that uh, the bank had a very small stake in the company and there was no material impact on, the, uh, on Versa. Okay, so moving forward with, uh, with Prosimo, uh, what is the, uh, the company's introducing a cloud native networking suite, nice marketing term. Uh, what is it and what are the problems it solves? Yeah, absolutely. So this is a, one of those um, rapidly emerging areas that we've been following closely. And that's really around the, the concept of multi-cloud networking. And it's, it's a result of organizations, as we know from, through the digital transformation initiatives that organizations are pushing more and more workloads and applications to the public cloud. What we've been able to observe over the last three or four years is that there's a, a really marked shift in how organizations are using multiple different public clouds, but in a meaningful way. And by that, I mean, three years ago when we asked, the majority of organizations said, yep, we're using multiple clouds. And, and when I say multiple public clouds, I'm only referring to 
infrastructure as a service and platform as a service, right? Everyone's got a, multiple SaaS vendors and so forth. But in that space of infrastructure as a service and platform as a service, three years ago, the majority of organizations said, yes, we're using them. And when we, when we double clicked on that and said, okay, so you're using multiple ones, how are you using them? The vast majority came back and said, well, we're really just using one and we're kicking the tires in the other. What we've seen now is that, again, vast majority using multiple public clouds, but now the majority of those people are using multiple public clouds in meaningful ways. So I've talked to a number of customers who are using and deploying production applications to multiple different public clouds. So that creates an issue of if you're in the IT group, you're having to learn multiple different cloud vendors, technology, systems, solutions, et cetera, how they work, how they're configured. What companies like Prosimo are doing is they're enabling organizations to learn their solution and then it abstracts all of those other cloud vendors, right? Kind of like if you think about the early day when VMware, what they were doing with the hardware, abstract that hardware, just learn our system and you can easily migrate applications to it. That's what they're enabling, right? So they're, they're trying to make it easier to connect to and host applications on multiple different public cloud vendors without having to go through and learn and become certified on each of those public clouds themselves. And their uh, their competitors include Aviatrix, right? Is one? Yeah, Aviatrix, Alkira. There's a there's a number of organizations. F5, uh, VMware has announced a project. So it's to me this is good, right? Because you don't want to be the only person in the segment. You want to make sure there's there's groundswell, and that's what we're seeing. So there's a group of organizations now, group of vendors who are really focused on helping to solve this problem. And you know they have different strengths. And what you're seeing from Prosimo with their announcement is really around how they're making it a lot easier to do this from both an application and a networking layer, right? So they have this concept of full stack. So they know the reason you're going there is because you're deploying applications. So they've part of this announcement is they've created a drag and drop approach to being able to, to, to deliver those. So uh, mm -hmm. that's really gonna drive a lot of operational efficiency. They're also doing things like adding stuff that traces for uh, doing tracer, tracing to speed troubleshooting and things like that. So reducing the MTTR. And also they had something they referred to as adaptive service insertion. So when you're creating all these, again, and you have multiple different clouds, how can you make it simpler for you to be able to insert a firewall, things like that, to okay. ensure that you've got consistent policy enforcement across multiple different clouds. Okay, next is uh, AWS's, uh, you know, AI platform Bedrock. You know, the launch uh, this week, uh, was it last, last week, I believe, gives enterprises a three-way choice of platforms from the largest uh, cloud providers, AWS, Google Cloud, and Microsoft Azure. Uh, here to explain the differences of the three offerings is TechTarget Editorial's AI reporter, Esther Zhao. AWS Bedrock, it will go up against um, Google Bard and Microsoft's flavor of open AI. Uh, are the three offerings similar? Uh, uh, what's, uh, do they have some significant differences? Yeah, so with AWS, I believe the most significant difference is the fact that they're offering a service, right? So everybody else uh, offers, like, they tell you what exactly, how you can implement their uh, large language model into Able, they're offering something that will help you uh, to be able to build your own kind of large language model. So AWS differentiating factor is that instead of 
uh, just saying, oh, here is our product. You use it. They're like, here is our product and we'll help you to be able to create beyond. I see. Okay. So it's a more uh, do-it-yourself kind of AI. I mean, obviously they, they, they're giving you the algorithms, but you feed it the data. And yeah. Use it so, however you want. Yeah. So basically they're um, in terms of like the differences, they're steering customers to train their own foundation models with mm. like their own, with their ship. Right. So they're saying we are going to help you. We're not just going to give you a product that's you're going to have to figure out how to do your yeah, I'm sure there's quite a bit of engineering involved uh, yeah. if you're going to use their product. And, and Google and Microsoft are more focused on uh, getting their AI into their software. You know, like Microsoft's using an Outlook and Teams and Google. Right, right, right. So Google and Microsoft are more focused on um, making sure that they implement their AI into like their applications, right? A lot AWS is saying, you don't have to go anywhere else. We have all the tools. We're just going to help you uh, to implement it into your own applications. Okay. What about uh, what about costs? I mean, how, how do these cloud providers charge for their services? Well, with AWS, one of the things that they are saying is it's like cost is why a lot of people do not get, or a lot of enterprises don't get into uh, large language models. So they're not really outright saying, well, this is what the cost is that to use our service, which is what they're calling it. But they are saying it's a lot more cost efficient than going outside AWS. Um, what I imagine and what I've asked other analysts is the idea of like, like everything else, it's going to be uh, a lot cheaper, <laughs> in my opinion, to try to use AWS than to use Google. You know, it's I feel like that's their model. It's like take what every uh, what every, everybody else is doing and make it a lot more cost efficient. And so that's their argument. And that's one of, I guess, their selling factors. Uh, I mean, th th all of this is 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 very new, right? I mean, a, a lot of these services are still in in preview. Are they all uh, they're are they all ready for production? Uh, well, Bedrock, I believe, is just still in private preview. So, you, I guess, a lot of things are still just in production, and people are still testing it out. Yeah, there's still a lot. Uh, there's a lot of development that still needs to be done, and of course, companies have to prepare themselves for dealing with AI because it requires talent. Right? It requires yeah. people to actually help them. So lastly is SAP. For decades, SAP customers have run its enterprise resource planning systems to connect every part of their business. In today's interconnected world, those organizations have to migrate now to SAP's S4 HANA. Uh, if they want an ERP system that spans multiple enterprises and the cloud. Uh, here to discuss uh, how SAP customers are handling the transition is Tech Target editorial senior news writer Jim O'Donnell. Uh, you wrote recently about how the world's largest contract manufacturer, Jabal, is uh, making uh, the move to S4HANA. Uh, what was their approach, Jim? Yeah, so, um, well, first of all, uh, let me just set the stage. Um, S4HANA is, um, as you said, it's uh, SAP's sort of next generation ERP system. And it does promise a lot of uh, benefits for companies that go to it, uh, you know, faster transactions, sort of combination of analytics and the transactions. Um, the problem is that these kind of moves from the legacy systems are extremely costly and they're very complex. So, uh, you know, it's taking quite some time for 
most of the, the SAB customer base, which numbers probably around 400,000 companies worldwide. I've heard SAP does not sort of uh, um, disclose how many people um, have actually moved to S4HANA yet, but um, the most reliable uh, figures I have are probably at least 75% of their customer base is still on their legacy products. So it is, it's been quite a challenge for them, but they do have a, uh, they, they've announced a few years ago that they were stopping mainstream support for those legacy products. Um, ECC and Business 7 are the two um, very, um, you know, most commonly used ERP products for their on-premises customers. Uh, but support for that will end in 2027. Um, some will get an extension to 2030, depending on your um, your license agreement. So customers are sort of feeling, the, um, you know, uh, kind of the pressure to move to S4HANA now. And uh, um, there are different different approaches to it. There are different. Every company ha- kind of has their own processes. They could, they have their own industry standards that they need to to work into. Um, so you know, a move like this. Jabil, uh, they're they're uh, a very large uh, contract manufacturer, as you said, and they were on SAP uh, ECC um, since 1998. They've been on um, an on-premises system, um, and just to show you how long these moves can be, they they started planning a move to S4HANA in uh, 2017. They figured mm-hmm. they had to, you know, do a, a hardware. They were running, um, you know, ECC in their own uh, data center. They needed a, a data, uh, um, hardware refresh anyway. So they figured at the same time, we're looking at a hardware refresh. Let's look at moving to the next generation of ERP as well. And um, what they f- figured, so a lot of the moves to S4 HANA, kind of the best way that, um, you know, that SAP will tell you is you need to also go through a, a business transformation because you want to simplify a lot of your processes because there's changes in the, in the way that the data is processed that, you know, kind of going through all your processes and, and simplifying them essentially going through a business transformation is the best way to, to take advantage of S4HANA. Well, Jabil is such a complex organization that they decided that the best way was to essentially just move to S4HANA without essentially changing their business processes, but get it in the cloud and start to take advantage of uh, having the system out of their data center and into the cloud so they didn't have to you know, manage kind of the back end of mm-hmm. um, system management for for SAP, but not to do the business transformation process first. Um, it was essentially what we call lift and shift. So you're, they did upgrade to S4HANA, but um, they didn't do the the full business transformation first. So that was essentially the um, um, the approach that they took. And they also kind of had a staged approach where they had an, an, an SAP environment with several sort of other uh, peripheral uh, systems. They were running SAP Business Warehouse, which is kind of the analytics um, uh, application from SAP, and a few other um you know, sort of SAP um, adjacent application. So they decided they would move those first, kind of get what the the process would be like to move the main system first. They kind of like get the bugs out of the system essentially. And mm-hmm. then they would move their, um, you know, the S4 HANA into the cloud. Um, sure. So they, they took a few years to do it and um, talking to them, you know, everything they, they told me was that it was a successful move and they're starting to kind of reap the benefits of not having to manage you know, the SAP system in their own data center anymore. And how many years was it for them to make that transition? Well, uh, the initial sort of uh, transition started about 2017 and right. and their um, the actual sort of nuts and bolts transition. Uh, I believe they uh, started that in uh, around 2020. 
So it was okay. a, a multi-year process, and, and they've been mm -hmm. live in this new environment, uh, I think, for the past year or so. Yeah, did they give you an idea how much it costs to make that move? That, that no, no, they didn't. No, there was, but you know, these are um, they are extremely costly, as you can imagine. You know, moving moving a, such a large system like that is is um, it's it's they're costly. They're very they're they're quite costly and they're quite complex. All right, that wraps up uh, this week's show. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for watching and uh, have a good weekend.